Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Silence is Golden. That was one of my favorite songs back in 1964, which was recorded by the Four Seasons. The music to me was always so romantic, but the theme is actually one of a struggle as to whether to tell a particular woman that she's being deceived by a guy. In the end, the answer or the decision was to keep silent. In other words, mind your own business. Don't tell her what she doesn't want to hear. But silence is not always golden, especially when it comes from God. We should want God to tell us if we're doing anything wrong so that we can change it. Do we really want God to be silent? Remember from what we read in Revelation, there's worship in heaven 24, 7, 365 in chapters 4, 5, and 7. Imagine what it would be like if all of that stopped. No honor to God, no words from God, no activity in heaven. We're going to see that today as we open Revelation 8. I'm Debbie Blank. Hold on to your seats because things are going to get worse now in the tribulation period. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. When Debbie says hold on to your seats, I think of the times I've watched a really suspenseful movie. Sometimes the suspense is almost too much to bear and I'm either covering my eyes with my hands. Just like the movie ads promise, we can literally be kept on the edge of our seats. In Revelation chapter 8, we experience that kind of shocking, suspenseful pause in the judgments, a complete silence in heaven before the seventh seal is broken and the seventh judgment is unleashed. We've seen the previous six seals opened and the judgments come one after another. Why did everything stop? How long will the silence last? And what's going to happen next? You know, you think of in a movie or anything else, when there is silence, you have this dramatic pause. It's just waiting for the next shoe to drop, for the next thing to happen. That's what we're going to see here. As Jesus opens the seventh seal of the scroll that lays out God's plans for the future, we see a paradigm shift. Three chapters, as I mentioned, of the last four have talked about worshiping God, which is the focal point. It's been in heaven. They've been giving glory to God. God's been receiving worship and honor. But now that changes from God being glorified to man glorifying himself. As that happens, the mood shifts from how have we offended God to what have you done to us, God? It becomes all about man and man's selfish desires. Rather than serving God, man's taking care of themselves or thinking only about themselves. Rather than mourning over sin, people are doing what seems right in their own eyes. Well, certainly that sounds like things today. It sounds like many generations before us. But the fact of the matter is, This may be the last generation that's making that paradigm shift. When tribulation comes to people, sometimes it makes them turn to God and sometimes it makes them turn away from God. It depends on what someone's heart is like. And I remember hearing somebody talk about it's the same boiling water that softens the carrot that hardens the egg. We can have different reactions to things depending on how our heart is toward God. That's right. If our heart is totally devoted to Jesus Christ and we trust him, When we go through tough times, we may question, we may wonder, we may even get a little mad at God, but we ultimately trust him and we know who he is and we know that he's going to walk us through it. A lot of times when bad things happen, people get mad at God. God, you could have stopped this. 
this didn't have to happen, but you didn't because you don't love me. Well, that's Satan's attacks on us, are actually more or less on God's character than on us. And we turn away from God. So there's a paradigm shift with us, just as there's a paradigm shift here. We will see people saved throughout the tribulation period, but we also see people's hearts that have been hardened. And that's what we're going to begin seeing more and more. As God's judgments get worse, the believers seem to be taken care of by God, or they are either martyred or they die during the tribulation period. And the people who are left get madder and more angry and blaspheming of God because these judgments are not going to be fun. So let's begin with Revelation 8 verse 1. It says, and when he broke the seventh seal, and this is Jesus, the only one worthy, he breaks the seventh seal. You'll recall, according to Revelation 5, God has a scroll on his hand and it has seven seals on it. Jesus has opened the first six. Now he's opening the seventh. The seventh seal is not the end. What happens here, it's like he lays the scroll open front and back. And we're going to see after here seven trumpet judgments. We're going to see seven thunder judgments, though those aren't explained to us. We're going to see seven bowl judgments, along with everything else that happens in these days of the tribulation. So opening the seventh seal opens all the rest of it. But specifically right now, it opens the first trumpet judgment. Again, it says, when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. I just can't imagine silence in heaven with all that worship that's going on, with all the activity, and yet silence. What does that mean? I think it's that pregnant pause. It's God saying that there's a huge paradigm shift from where we've been to where we're going. This is it, folks. Take heed, pay attention, because what is going to happen is going to be so destructive that you want to turn to God now instead of waiting. What does it mean when it says a half an hour in heaven? Just a period of, of time? That's kind of hard to imagine. Just just to know that there is a time certain that's silent and then a time certain for that silence to end and for the judgments to start. This is John writing what he saw and what he understood according to his mentality at that time. So for John, it was, it says, about a half an hour. That's what he felt. Now, how many times you've been in a situation and said, oh, it lasted for an hour and it lasted for 10 minutes or 10 seconds. So is this an accurate half an hour? This is John's perspective that it is half an hour. Is that really how long it was in heaven? We don't know, but I take the Bible literally, unless it gives us another reason not to. And all the time sequences in Revelation are actual time sequences. So I tend to believe this is also. It goes on in Revelation 8, 2 to read, And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Trumpets, if you notice, it says were given to them. So God gave the angels these trumpets. He gave them the authority to blow the trumpets, which are going to cause these plagues that are going to come upon the world. I'm just thinking about the silence that they're experiencing after all the praise. It's like somebody turned the sound off and there's silence. But you see these trumpets being handed out and you know that suddenly there is going to be a blast from a trumpet, and that can be really jarring. So it's just, again, like you said, on the edge of the seat, knowing that something's coming and it's going to be jarring, and we're seeing it, but we're not hearing it yet. And the trumpets mean something to Israel. They understand that. 
when the blowing of the shofar occurred in the Old Testament, it was the assembling of the tribes to break camp and to set out. It also was a convening of the assembly. It was uh, something they blew when they rejoiced at their assemblies or their holy days. They always blew a trumpet at the installation of a new king. Obviously, they blew the trumpet to give praise and honor to God, and they blew the trumpet to muster for war, to sound the alarm for battle. If you listen to all those reasons for the shofar or the trumpet, any of them could be depicted here. But I think perhaps the one that is, is that it's war. It's time for war to happen on earth, for judgments to take place. It reads in verses three through five, and another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. Much incense was given to him that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer, he filled it with the fire from the altar and threw it to earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashings of lightning and an earthquake. This is the seventh seal. In the sixth seal, we saw a great earthquake. That's the first earthquake in Revelation. Now, right after that, in the seventh seal, we see another earthquake, more disaster. It's interesting because there's all this prayer that goes up first before this starts to happen. And then it's thrown down. This is an intentional action from heaven thrown to the earth, and that's what breaks the silence even before the trumpets is we have all this chaos, the peals of thunder, the sounds of the flashing of lightning, and the sounds of an earthquake. I've never been in an earthquake, but things come crashing down. I have been, and it's very disheartening because you have absolutely no control. If you ever have a question of who's in control of nature, it's not Mother Nature, it's Father God. You get an earthquake and you cannot do anything. It's devastating. Perhaps that's why there's so many earthquakes in the book of Revelation. So here we have the angel starting this destruction as the censer filled with fire from the altar is thrown to the earth. And it says in verse six, and the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. That just sounds so ominous to me, as you mentioned of the silence and then the angels getting the trumpets and getting them ready. And here we have just kind of almost another little pregnant pause where it says they prepare themselves to sound them. So they have to be prepared to do God's work. This judgment, which remember is all part of the seventh seal. It says, and the first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. What does that hail and fire look like? If you think about it, comets are made of ice. Comets coming through the air, they could be getting bloody from hitting the birds. And I'm just throwing out our mentality of all of this. But we know that God can do something supernatural here. Whatever it is, It sounds like the plague in Egypt, the seventh plague in Exodus chapter nine was the same thing. God miraculously brought that plague about. He's bringing this one. Hail and fire mixed with blood. It was thrown to the earth. Force that comes upon the earth. It's not just a little light hail. We know that when hail happens, small hail, we run for cover and we see our cars get dented. 
Let's see what happened then. It says a third of the earth was burned, a third of the trees, and a third of the green grass was burned up. What does that tell us? It tells us it was localized. But still, a third, that's a lot. What do the trees represent? What does the earth represent of the grass? Well, we get our food from that. We get our wheat and our barley. Our animals eat that, and then they get healthy so we can use them for meat. We have fruit trees, and a third of them are going to be destroyed. Think of the oxygen that's going to be taken out of the air with the destruction there. And not only that, but a fourth of our pharmaceuticals come from plants. So we won't have any medicines, or at least not a lot, because a third of all of this is going to be burned up. That's just enough to really throw our ecology. So even though it sounds like there's a certain amount of of mercy and restraint, as you said, it's thrown down, it's intentional, it's one-third destruction that will cause the rest of the earth to pay attention. Yes, and keep in mind that the first century mentality saw the cosmos in four different ways, the land, the sea, the rivers, and the heavens. Well, this is the land. The next three judgments are going to be against the seas, the rivers, and the heavens. Now, as we look at Revelation 8, 8, we see the sounding of the second trumpet. It reads, and the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the seas became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. There again, it's localized. Is this happening in the Middle East? Because that's where so much of the end times turmoil will take place. It could be, or it could be happening to us to take all of us out of the picture before God works in the area of the Middle East in the end times. We don't know where it's going to happen, but it says that something like there's a simile. So it wasn't a great mountain, but it looked like a great mountain to John. That's what he saw. Well, asteroids look like mountains. There was an asteroid discovered in 1949 called the 1516 Icarus. In 1968, that came within four miles and was able to be observed by radar. In 2015, it came within five miles. That's really close. If an asteroid came and hit the United States, it could destroy the whole United States or a third of the world. And it doesn't even have to be a huge asteroid. It could be bits of an asteroid. But whatever it is, to John, it looks like it's a burning mountain. This time it's thrown into the sea. A third of the sea becomes blood. We saw that in the first plague of Egypt. Very easy. And perhaps it became that way because of the environmental damage that took place in the process of this great mountain coming down. It could be from the pollution that encompasses the sea. With a third of the creatures in the sea dying... I mean, obviously you have much pollution with that. And then you have a third of the ships destroyed. Right now there's 87,483 ships with the carry cargo and people around the world. So basically you'd have 30,000 ships being destroyed, which means all the people on the ships, they would be killed and all of the pollution from whatever they were carrying. If you've ever seen one of those huge ships that has all of the metal containers on them, They carry thousands of containers. If they are destroyed, all that's in those containers is opened up into the seas. So what's left of the seas will be totally polluted and the food that's there will be destroyed. It'll be a mess. Yeah, thinking about supply chain, people are talking about that. Interruptions 
just small interruptions in our supply chain cause great repercussions. So here we have a commercial system being attacked, a transportation system, a military system. It could be that there are military ships that are in that one third. We don't know. Oh, what a devastation that's going to be. Now, the third angel sounds. I'm thinking as I'm reading this, how interesting God is that he has seven different angels with seven different trumpets. When the seals were open, he had four different living creatures that were with Christ and announced the opening of the seals. So God's using his heavenly beings to work with him as he's bringing this destruction on the earth. Revelation 8:10, the sounding of the third trumpet. And the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. This is different than the great mountain. This is a great star that fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So this is different. This is the springs of water, not the seas. So when you think that the two largest rivers or springs of water are the Nile and the Amazon in Africa, if something like this fell, it would destroy all the natural water in Africa, in the whole continent. There's 165 major rivers in the world. That means 55 of them will be polluted. What if that was the Mississippi or the Missouri polluted with something that fell from heaven? Now here the word star is aster. That's different from the mountain of the previous discussion. So it could be an asteroid. It could be a large body of burning gas. It could be space debris. We don't know what it is. It's burning like a torch. Well, we know that when things come through the atmosphere, that they burn like a torch before they come to ground. But whatever this is, it's going to fall to the earth. It's not going to burn up in the atmosphere. Right now, there are 5,000 known asteroids 1600 of them we're watching carefully because if anything changes they could revert and hit the united states at any time when we talked about interruptions to the supply chain i was thinking about interruptions to food supply and so forth we need water a lot more than we need food you can go a lot longer without food than you can without water and this is hitting the fresh water supplies And even in industry, we need water, but just for somebody to drink water and to be able to survive, that's so important. No wonder so many people die with this particular trumpet. It says here the star is called Wormwood. It's very interesting because Wormwood in Russian language is Chernobyl. So does this have something to do with the destruction of nuclear plants that we have? Or is it just the fact that this is going to be a bitter water? It's going to be a poisonous water that infects the rivers because of the star having gone through the atmosphere and the stratosphere and who knows what else is it's going to hit or harm by the time it hits the water the water has become bitter and men die from it going on now to the fourth angel in revelation eight fourteen, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them might be darkened and the day might not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way There's a lot of people that say the book of Revelation is symbolic. Well, this is what God says, and I believe it's true. Somehow, a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are going to be smitten and darkened. God can do that easy with an earthquake or with a volcano. Certainly, there's going to be a lot of situations happening when you have a great mountain and an asteroid, or what looks like an asteroid, some kind of a star falling from heaven. That's going to wreak havoc 
in the solar system and in our own atmosphere. So it's not unusual that the star and the sun and the moon would be smitten, but they became darkened. The ninth plague of Egypt also had the same situation. And men were gnawing their teeth because of their pain, it said, in that plague. So you can imagine they're going to do the same thing. You talk about a nuclear winter. This would cool the earth significantly. Uh, They say up to 18 to 36% if all of this happened and all of these became darkened. It's going to change the whole atmosphere of the world. This could be a natural consequence of those other things that came about previous to this. If something hits a land mass, like an asteroid or something like that, we know that with volcanoes, there are clouds of things that make planes not able to fly and it's, it's, uh, temperatures are affected and so forth in the area. This would be a larger thing than that. So it could be natural consequences of what was previous to this, or God could just do it supernaturally. However um, he wants to do, it's his judgment. Since so many of these plagues are like the plagues of Egypt, it makes me wonder if God's not saying the Egyptians didn't see my hand then. I'm going to do the same plagues here so that people will see that I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the one who allowed it in Egypt. I'm the one who allows it here now and I'm causing it to happen. As we look at these sun, moon, and stars being smitten, we talked about that also with the sixth seal being opened. We need to remember that God is in charge of everything. He made and created the sun, moon, and stars, the earth, and everything in it. Psalm 89, 8, 9 says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you, almighty God, your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. In Job 26, 7, he says, he stretches out the north over empty spaces and hangs the earth on nothing. It is God who is allowing this. He's the only one who can. As bad as these things are, there is a fifth angel that's going to sound. And this is going to be a whole different ballgame. It tells us in Revelation 8, 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying in mid heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. That's a prelude verse to what we're going to see as we move forward to the last three trumpet judgments that are all called woes. That expression is oi. Oi is a destruction of terror for the Jewish people. It's an expression of grief or calamity or warning. Something bad is going to happen. In the first trumpet judgments, we've seen the cosmos dealt with as people understood them at that time. Now we're going to see demonic oppression as the fifth trumpet is sounded. It's only going to get worse. And verse 13, when it gives those three woes, those warnings, they are warnings that are meant for the earth dwellers. That's who is mentioned here in this verse as being the ones who will be suffering from the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the final three angels. So who are these earth dwellers? Why is that term used? God uses all kinds of terminologies throughout Revelation. As we talked about last week, he talks about the tribes, the tongues, the peoples, and the nations. He talks about the Jews. He talks about the two witnesses. Here it talks about those who dwell on the earth. Now, a lot of prophecy people will call these the earth dwellers. That phrase is mentioned five times in the book of Revelation. So these are significant people. 
In Revelation 6.10, we saw them when the souls under the altar cried out to God and said, how long will it be before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, that gives you the idea if God is going to avenge the blood on earth dwellers, that they're unbelievers. They're not people of God. In Revelation 11.10, it talks about the earth dwellers who were rejoicing over the death of the two witnesses that God had placed in the earth. They were so happy they were dead that they sent gifts to people. Clearly, those are unbelievers. They're not following God in his word. In Revelation 13.8 and in Revelation 13.4, that's the passage in Revelation 13 that talks about the Antichrist and the false prophet causing people who are on the earth to worship the Antichrist and to take his mark of the beast. It tells us that the earth dwellers were told to make an image of the beast. A little bit further on in that passage in verse 8, it talks about those who dwell on the earth worshiping the beast. Clearly, when we see that passage, we're talking about unbelievers. Now, is everybody that's on the face of the earth at this time unbelievers? No, because you have the Jewish evangelists and you have people who are being saved and you have the Jewish people that are being protected by God that we'll see about later in chapter 11. So there are believers on the earth, but here we're seeing a real distinction, this paradigm shift between the godly, the believers that we've seen worshiping God versus the unbelievers, those who dwell on the earth. Remember, we talked at the beginning, this is a paradigm shift from the people who were focusing on God to now the people who are doing their own thing. The earth dwellers, you might even call them, because they are the unbelievers following their own destruction. I'd like to take another look at the altar and the censer of incense that is being brought up before the altar and the prayers and the incense going up before God. Tell us a little bit more about this altar before the throne. Yeah, we saw the prayers of the saints going up before God in Revelation 5, 8. It says there that when he had taken the book, four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And also with the souls under the altar, they cried out with a loud voice in Revelation 6.10, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So we see them praying. We need to be reminded that the altar of incense is the final object in the tabernacle or in the temple right before the veil, which separates the priests in the holy place from God who's in the holy of holies. God perpetually has incense wafting up through the veil before the Ark of the Covenant. And incense is very important to God. We see it in Leviticus 16, 12, and 13 when it's explained. God has the high priest taking incense before God. That's why our prayers are so important. They go directly before God in his throne because the incense is taken into God's throne. So when we see here the angel who came and stood at the altar he was at the altar of incense. Our prayers are so important. We have to know that everything we pray about is incense, sweet aroma before the throne of God. We're so busy. Most of us don't take time to be still and know that he is God. According to Psalm 46:10. only when we're still can we hear God. Only then can we get to know him and be obedient and hear him and do what he calls us to do. If people want God to be silent, they're going to have their wish. And they're going to go through all of these things that we've talked about. They're going to spend eternity away from God. 
God has given us a dramatic pause in preparation for these trumpet judgments. Will you, our listeners, pay heed to God's silence so that you can hear him and turn to him? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.